0: Just being able to talk to someone can make all the difference. For Kristoff, the birds, the deer, and the animals of the wild are his only companions. That's when things were easy. Now a slave to the wolf riders of the Dakin, all hope is at risk of being lost in a sea of suffering. Welcome back, friends! Today's teaser from Endless Ink Books comes from Earth's final chapter, volume 1, book 14, Promised Land. The sun is shining fiercely out here lately. It's utterly delightful. But it does make me think, sadly, of my late feline show producer, Tito, whose passing took place one year ago this month. Tito was a mostly white kitty who spent the first part of his life outdoors in the glaring sun, and that's why he eventually developed a type of carcinoma on his fearsome little face. Tito did not actually believe in death, so he continued on as the brutal leader of the household for four years before finally departing. So in honor of our dear Frank and Tito... Do remember not to let your white kitties and doggies spend too much time in the sun. You can also honor him by signing up as a member of Frank and Tito's Memorial Club on the show's Patreon. That's just $1 a month. Join up at patreon.com forward slash history obscura. Now... Many of you probably remember the reading I did a couple of years ago of Christopher Columbus's 1493 letter to the King and Queen of Spain. Having collected many exotic goods to show the Spanish monarchs, Columbus, at the time known as Christopher Colom, was anxious to use these items as leverage for another sponsored mission to the West. At no point during the journey did Columbus realize that the places and people he'd seen west of Europe were not located in the Indian Ocean, but indeed some 14,000 kilometers away. Fully confident that he'd found a straightforward route from Spain and Portugal to the spice-laden lands of the Indians, Columbus wasted no time promising his patrons a monopoly on everything he could get his greedy little hands on. His governorship of the island of Hispaniola was a disaster, in which Columbus was responsible for the routine beatings and executions of Spanish colonists along with native people with whom he disagreed. In 1499, Spain officially removed him from office, sending guards to chain him up, get him on the next ship to Spain, and face a trial in the country that had originally sponsored his voyages. And, shortly after this all happened, once upon a time, Bartolome de las Casas was one of the first Spanish settlers in the Americas following Columbus's discovery. As such, de las Casas at first participated in the widespread colonial abuses of native people, owning several slaves of his own. However, in time, he entreated King Charles I of Spain to bestow rights upon the natives. He thought perhaps African slaves would be better, and then thought better of that idea as well. Finally, de las Casas became a missionary of the Dominican order and spent his time in discussion with other missionaries trying to decide on the best way to convert the Maya to Christianity. De las Casas had a lot to say about the methods of one Christopher Columbus and the Spaniards who followed him in charge of colonization projects throughout the Americas. In fact, he published a book on the subject. Let me read to you from... A brief account of the destruction of the Indies, or a faithful narrative of the horrid and unexampled massacres butcheries, and all manner of cruelties that hell and malice could invent, committed by the Popish-Spanish party on the inhabitants of West India, together with the devastations of several kingdoms in America by fire and sword, for the space of forty and two years from the time of its discovery by them. (sighs) Wrote de las Casas, America was discovered and found by Annus Dominicus 1492 and the year ensuing inhabited by the Spaniards and afterward a multitude of them traveled thither from Spain for the space of 9 and 40 years Their first attempt was on the Spanish island which indeed is a most fertile soil and at present in great reputation for its spaciousness and length containing, in circumference, 600 miles. Nay, it is on all sides surrounded with an almost innumerable number of islands, which we found so well-peopled with natives and foreigners that there is scarce any region in the universe fortified with so many inhabitants. But the mainland, or continent, distant from this island 250 miles, extends itself above 10,000 miles in length near the seashore, which lands are some of them already discovered, and more may be found in process of time. And such a multitude of people inhabits these countries that it seems as if the omnipotent God has assembled and convocated the major part of mankind in this part of the world. Now, this infinite multitude of men are, by the creation of God, innocently simple, altogether void of and averse to all manner of craft, subtlety and malice, and most obedient and loyal subjects to their native sovereigns, and behave themselves very patiently, submissively and quietly towards the Spaniards, to whom they are subservient and subject, so that finally they live without the least first after revenge, laying aside all litigiousness, commotion, and hatred. The Spaniards first assaulted the innocent sheep, so qualified by the Almighty, as is pre-mentioned like most cruel tigers, wolves, and lions, hunger-starved, studying nothing for the space of forty years after their first landing, but the massacre of these wretches, whom they have so inhumanely and barbarously butchered and harassed with several kinds of torments never known before or heard, that of three millions of persons which lived in Hispaniola itself, there is at present but the inconsiderable remnant of scarce three hundred. When the Spaniards first arrived here, about five hundred thousand men dwelt in it. They are now cut off some by slaughter, and others ravished away by force and violence to work in the mines of Hispaniola, which was destitute of native inhabitants. As to the firm land, we are certain satisfied and assured that the Spaniards, by their barbarous and execrable actions, have absolutely depopulated ten kingdoms of greater extent than all Spain, together with the kingdoms of Aragon and Portugal that is to say above 1000 miles which now lie waste and desolate and are absolutely ruined when as formerly no other country whatsoever was more populous nay we dare boldly affirm that during the 40 years space wherein they exercised their sanguinary and detestable tyranny in these regions above 12 millions computing men women and children have undeservedly perished. Nor do I conceive that I should deviate from the truth by saying that above fifty millions in all paid their last debt to nature. Those that arrived at these islands from the remotest parts of Spain, and who pride themselves in the name of Christians, steered two courses principally, in order to the extirpation and exterminating of these people from the face of the earth. Now, the ultimate end and scope that incited the Spaniards to endeavor the extirpation and desolation of these people was gold only, that thereby, growing opulent in a short time, they might arrive at once at such degrees and dignities as were no ways consistent with their persons. In the Isle of Hispaniola, which, as we have said, the Spaniards first attempted, the bloody slaughter and destruction of men first began. For they violently forced away women and children to make them slaves and ill-treated them, consuming and wasting their food, which they had purchased with great sweat and toil. One individual Spaniard consumed more victuals in one day than would serve to maintain three families a month, every one consisting of ten persons. Now being oppressed by such evil usage, and afflicted with such great torments and violent entertainment, they began to understand that such men as those had not their mission from heaven, and therefore some of them concealed their provisions and others to their wives and children in lurking holes, but some, to avoid the obdurate and dreadful temper of such a nation, sought their refuge on the craggy tops of mountains for the Spaniards did not only entertain them with cuffs, blows, and wicked cudgeling, but laid violent hands also on the governors of cities. A certain captain was so audacious as to abuse the consort of the most puissant king of the whole isle, from which time they began to consider what ways and means they might expel the Spaniards out of their country, and immediately took up arms. But... Good God, what arms do you imagine? Namely such, both offensive and defensive, as resemble reeds wherewith boys sport with one another more than manly arms and weapons. Which the Spanish no sooner perceived, but they, mounted on generous steeds, well-weaponed with lances and swords, began to exercise their bloody butcheries and stratagems, And overrunning their cities and towns, spared no age or sex, nay, not so much as women and child, but ripping up their bellies, tore them alive in pieces. They laid wagers amongst themselves who should with a sword at one blow cut or divide a man in two, or which of them should decollate or behead a man with the greatest dexterity. Nay, farther, which should sheath his sword in the bowels of a man with the quickest dispatch and expedition. They snatched young babes from the mother's breasts and then dashed out the brains of these innocents against the rocks. Others they cast into rivers, scoffing and jeering them, and called upon their bodies when falling with derision, the true testimony of their cruelty, to come to them and inhumanely exposing others to their merciless swords together with the mothers that gave them life. They erected certain gibbets, large but low-made, so that their feet almost reached the ground, every one of which was so ordered as to bear thirteen persons, in honor and reverence, as they said blasphemously, of our Redeemer and his twelve apostles, under which they made a fire to burn them to ashes whilst hanging on them but those they intended to preserve alive, they dismissed, their hands half-cut and still hanging by the skin, to carry their letters missive to those that fly from us and lie skulking on the mountains as an exprobation of their flight. The lords and persons of noble extract were usually exposed to this kind of death. They ordered gridirons to be placed and supported with wooden forks and putting a small fire under them, these miserable wretches, by degrees and with loud shrieks and exquisite torments, at last expired. I was an eyewitness of these and innumerable number of other cruelties, and because all men who could lay hold of the opportunity sought out lurking holes in the mountains to avoid as dangerous rocks, so brutish and barbarous a people, strangers to all goodness, and the extirpators and adversaries of men. They bred up such fierce hunting dogs as would devour an Indian like a hog at first sight in less than a moment. Now such kind of slaughters and cruelties as these were committed by the curs, and if at any time it happened, which was rarely, that the Indians, irritated upon a just account, destroyed or took away the life of any Spaniard, they promulgated and proclaimed this law among them that one hundred Indians should die for every individual Spaniard that should be slain. A second kingdom was named Marion, where there is to this day a haven upon the utmost borders of the plain towards the north, more fertile and large than the kingdom of Portugal, and really deserving constant and frequent inhabitants. For it abounds with mountains, and is rich in mines of gold, and a kind of copper ore mixed with gold. The king's name of this place was Canagari, who had many powerful lords under his subjection. The first that landed in this kingdom, when he discovered America, was an admiral well stricken in years, who had so hospitable and kind a reception from the aforesaid Gracanagari, as well as all those Spaniards that accompanied him in that voyage, giving them all imaginable help and assistance, for the Admiral's vessel was sunk on their coasts. I heard it from his own mouth, he could not possibly have been entertained with greater caresses and civilities from his own parents in his own native country. But this king being forced to fly to avoid the Spanish slaughter and cruelty was deprived of all he was master of, died in the mountains, and all the rest of the potentates and nobles, his subjects, perished in that servitude and vassalage, as you shall find in this following treatise. Another captain, taking leave of Quito, was followed by a poor Indianess with loud cries and clamours, begging and beseeching him not to carry away her husband, for she had the charge of three children and could not possibly supply them with victuals, but they must inevitably die with hunger. And though the captain repulsed her with an angry brow at the first, yet she approached him a second time with repeated cries, saying that her children must perish for want of food. But finding the captain inexorable and altogether unmoved with her complaints and her husband not restored, through a piquant necessity wedded to despair, she cut off the heads of her children with sharp stones and so dispatched them into the other world. The captain then proceeded further to another city and sent some Spaniards that very night to take the Indians of the city of Tulikui, who next day brought with them above a hundred persons, some of which, whom he looked upon to be able to carry burdens, he reserved for his own and his soldiers' service, and others were chained and perished in their fetters. But the little infants he gave to the cassock of Tutuli, above said to be eaten up and devoured, whose skins are stuffed with ashes and hung up in his house to be seen at this very day. And in the close of this letter he shuts up all with these words, "'Tis here very remarkable, and never to be forgotten, that this tyrant, being not ignorant of the mischiefs and enormities executed by him, boastingly said of himself, "'They who shall travel in these countries fifty years hence, and hear the things related of me, will have cause to say or declare that never such a tyrant as I am marched through these regions and committed the like enormities.'" To conclude, the Spaniards first set sail to America not for the honor of God, or as persons moved and merited thereunto by servant zeal to the true faith, nor to promote the salvation of their neighbors, nor to serve the king, as they falsely boast and pretend to do, but in truth only stimulated and goaded on by insatiable avarice and ambition that they might forever domineer, command, and tyrannize over the West Indies, whose kingdoms they hoped to divide and distribute among themselves. By all these indirect ways described, they hoped to disappoint and expel the kings of Castile out of those dominions and territories, that they themselves might possess and enjoy it. Phoenice. Bartolome de las Casas' account of what he denounced as thoroughly unchristian devastation at the hands of his fellow Spaniards was shipped to King Charles I of Spain. This manuscript, as yet not formally published as a book, was largely responsible for Charles's implementation of the New Laws of the Indies for the Good Treatment and Preservation of the Indians which abolished native slavery for the first time in European colonial history. Relations between the original inhabitants of the Americas and the Spanish colonials remained chaotic, but the new laws were able to liberate several thousand natives from slavery. Thank you for listening. Please consider supporting the show via buymeacoffee.com forward slash historyobscura or Patreon. And please do take another cookie before you leave. Aladdin will show you the way out. Good night!